0: Hey there, and welcome to an abruptly early episode of War Starts at Midnight.
1: I'm Chris Gallagher. And I'm Hunter Cates. On today's show, we're reviewing The Martian, a movie about Matt Damon marooned on Mars MacGyvering his way back home. Then in special features, we will discuss the career of Ridley Scott in reviewing Ridley. And finally, we'll wrap up the show as we always do with some really rad recommendations. But first... Well, it's been a very busy week, Midnight Warriors, here at uh, WSAM headquarters. Uh, I have a stalker, apparently, based on emails I've received, and then Chris has been sticking it to the man over Dangerous Men. Why don't we start with that? Tell us a little bit about that adventure of yours.
0: Okay, so last week, uh, my midweek memo article was about... Um, kind of my relationship with dangerous men and also my
1: let's let's preface the movie dangerous men, not Chris's personal <laughs> relationship with dangerous right. men,
0: my relationship with the motion picture, dangerous men, uh, www.dangerousmen, the movie.com and actually my restoration of, of the website. Like I've owned the domain for several years and um, been slowly trying to piece back together the original site that it's director, John has had put together. And so once I did, I put it up, I, instead of it had been just a single landing page, um, put up a link, that said click here to see the original site, Uh, brought to you by the friendly folks at War Starts Midnight, I think is, is what it said. Mm -hmm. And like that Wednesday, like that Wednesday afternoon, uh, I get an email from the COO of Draft House Films asking me to um, change the website back to uh, its original form and uh, take like he, he used the word takeover, which really confused me come to find out like, I, and, and this really, like, I was confused as to how, like, what, what was going on exactly. Um, what, what he meant by the original site. Cause I just restored the original site for the first time in like six years. And um, it, it turns out it was all just major confusion. Like they, um, when, once we figured it all out, they couldn't have been nicer. Um, About the whole thing, but they actually didn't realize that my little John S. Rad gif flashing gif with the dangerous men song. They didn't realize that wasn't the original site. They thought that, you know, this guy was just so he he wrote, directed, produced, edited, you know, everything, the film. Why wouldn't he make a. Sort
1: of mini shrine to himself at dangerousmin the movie.com I mean yeah, I, that wouldn't surprise me at all, so if I could come up with an analogy for this scenario, it's kind of like if someone had a car a corvair, let's say back in the 1970s and then it you find it in a junkyard mm-hmm. and then you, Chris Gallagher put this corvair back together and replenish it, and then the guy comes back and says, "Hey, I want that car back is that
0: no, how- no no no, no, it wasn't like that at all like it was it was totally a misunderstanding of like they thought that they owned it they didn't realize that I owned it. And they thought that the page that I had put up was actually the original website. Mm. So they they thought that this is the the best part is they thought I was a hacker, which is not possible. But
1: um, you know, I guess in, in the land of the internet, anything's possible. But the point of the story is don't f- with Chris Gallagher. Is I, that the uh, key takeaway here? Yeah, man. I guess so. I oh. mean,
0: I I'm I'm happy with it. I, I did. I honestly did lose a night of sleep over it, but
1: uh, everything's good now. They're good people. Well, one person that you can. F- with, in fact, I encourage you to f*** with them, is me. (laughs) And so... Let me preface this by saying that I've kind of wanted my entire life to have a stalker. Yeah, you've, you've asked for it. I mean,
0: (laughs) I can't remember your exact words on the very first episode, but I think every time you gave the email address, the hello at war starts at midnight.com, you said something about like anonymous vitriol, like spew it or or something (laughs) like that. uh,
1: You've, you've been asking for this. Yeah, exactly. And normally we shouldn't blame the victim or say you've been asking for it. That's a polit, that's a a faux pas, (laughs) politically incorrect, (laughs) but in this situation, it's very true. And so. I have a stalker who I believe their uh their email tag is literally I hate Hunter at gmail.com. Let's hate Hunter. At let's ha- oh, okay. So it's a yeah. communal thing. It's a
0: communal thing. <laughs> their their name is Hunter Hater, is is what it comes across as, but it's let's let's hate Hunter at gmail.com.
1: And what have you and Hunter Hater have been talking about? And this um, isn't you, right?
0: Yeah, it's it's been me because like I'll I'll show you the emails, but um, I'm the one who typically responds to, to the emails. And so it's, it's been very, uh, very nice conversation actually. Actually. Like,
1: yeah. From what I've seen, it's been it, very
0: cordial. It, it began with, uh, asking about if we'd ever used Mubi and if, uh, we'd ever considered reviewing anything from Mubi on, on the show, uh, which I've actually, are you, are you familiar with the service? I am not, no. Okay. It's a streaming service. It's, I kind of, I love the model. Uh, the only reason I haven't subscribed to it is because I'm always in over my head with things I need to watch anyway. And it would just be another one of those. But recently, uh, I believe it's it was last Friday, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson actually premiered his brand new uh, documentary, Junin. I'm probably butchering that, but it's about uh, he he followed Johnny Greenwood to, I believe, India. I could be butchering that as well. But it's it's a doc- documentary about Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead. And so I imagine more people have been kind of looking into it, trying to find the film, whether they're P.T. Anderson fans or uh, Radiohead fans or, or whatever it was. So that was the first, like, asking if we'd ever used it.
1: Well, I'm curious about um, this this P.T. Anderson thing real quickly. Was this a Beyonce situation where he just dropped a, dropped a movie out of nowhere? Or was there promotion?
0: Um, kind of, like, I mean, there had been... It, it wasn't, like, day of. Everyone found out. It was... Um, I believe initially, well, I, I think it premiered at New York film festival and like the next day it was available mm-hmm. on movie or something like that. Um, but so, I, I knew at least a couple weeks out that, that this was happening. So it wasn't like just drop out of nowhere. And so this is what you and Hunter Hater
1: have been so talking it, well, about.
0: That, that was the first conversation. Then we talked about uh beer and he asked me, you know, um, what I had coming up for October and made some recommendations. And then. Uh, we've, we've talked about all, all sorts of things. The last thing was, I guess he uh, caught up with one of my Friday featured flicks, uh, which is kicking and screaming the Noah Bombeck film. Mm -hmm. And then, um, very dryly, you know, included a man, Josh Hamilton looked young when he was, when he was a kid and it's of course a photo of you.
1: See, I couldn't even tell. I saw that email. <laughs> and I thought, okay, he, okay. He's in a picture of Josh. Hamilton. Oh, that's me. Yeah. yeah. So if I am to take the cordiality of your conversation with Hunter Hader, can we assume that you like Hunter Hater more than you like Hunter? Like that may be the future you of know, this podcast. I, I, he's a nice guy. He's, he is. He's a nice guy.
0: He, I don't think I, I don't think I could have him as co-host because he's a little, he's a little difficult to work with.
1: Yeah. He's a, he's a little incognito. Yeah. Well, well, uh, we can just assume that hunter hater is not hunter that, but
0: yeah, well, that, that's the thing is like, I, he was making beer recommendations that I know you wouldn't make. So I know it's not you.
1: Right. I, I'm, I, I would, I mean, say I guess you, you like, could have Googled, but I, I don't think you, I, I know I would not have put that much. I would not have gone <laughs> to the trouble of creating a separate Gmail. That's, that's how we know it wasn't me, but hunter hater, uh, we're very, very fascinated by what you're doing. So please keep it up.
0: I, I have a theory. This, this is okay, just well, snowballing wait. off the
1: top of my head. What if Hunter Hater is our friend in Japan? Uh, Godzilla? Yeah. That would be a dream come true, except that would be the story of my life. When Godzilla <laughs> finally comes to meet me, he just wants to know that he hates me. He just wants That's like finding trash. out Santa Claus doesn't like you. But it's
0: like, I mean, I, I feel like this this Godzilla hater is like the Woody Allen Godzilla.
1: He's like... He's like, ah, I don't like you, but let's let's be friends and chat anyway. Wouldn't that be perfect if Godzilla actually was really nebbishy and nervous? That would just and he hates me. Yeah, I, I would just retire. It's all just point. a matter of
0: stress. That's the only reason that he, he does the things he does.
1: Well, that makes sense. But at the same time, seeing your hero reduced to that, um, right. I would probably just retire. But until that time, we've got a movie to review. Oh yeah! Actually, before we review the movie, just once again, Hunter Hater, we we want to keep hearing from you. So by all means, don't tell us who you are, but just keep it up. All right, all right. So up next, we're going to review Ridley Scott's latest, starring Matt Damon, The Martian.
0: At around 4:30 a.m., our satellites detected a storm approaching the Ares 3 mission site on Mars. The storm had escalated to severe and we had no choice but to abort the mission. But during the evacuation, astronaut Mark Watney was killed.
1: I'm entering this log for the record. This is Mark Watney and I'm still alive. Obviously. I have no way to contact NASA or my crewmates. But even if I could, it would take four years for another manned mission to reach me. And I'm in a HAB designed to last 31 days. So, in the face of overwhelming
0: odds, I'm left with only one option. I'm gonna have to science the shit out of this. Hunter, had you pulled my enthusiasm 10 or 15 years ago for a hypothetical new sci fi movie set on Mars and directed by Ridley Scott? you'd almost certainly be looking at a candidate for my most anticipated films of the year. After all, Scott's made some monoliths in large-scale cinema, with pictures including Blade Runner and the director's cut of Kingdom of Heaven. He's also proven that he knows how to build panic and suspense on a more intimate scale, with films like Alien and Black Hawk Down. Yet, lately I've had a rather difficult time building any enthusiasm at all for his films, perhaps because the immaculately promoted Prometheus turned out to be a beautiful yet vapid Damon Lindelof-shaped turd, for which I have not yet forgiven him. As a result, I approached his newest film, The Martian, with a bit of caution, though not full-blown pessimism. And I'll admit, on paper, it sounds pretty incredible. When a massive, unexpected storm descends on the crew of the Ares 3, they're forced to cut short their exploratory mission on Mars. In the rush to evacuate the planet, botanist Mark Watney, played by Matt Damon, is impaled by a satellite antenna and carried off into the storm. He's presumed dead, and the crew's commander, Melissa Lewis, played by Jessica Chastain, has no choice but to leave him behind in order to save the lives of her four other crew members. As it turns out, Watney survived the blow and the storm. But he's now stranded on Mars as the planet's lone life form. The story quickly becomes one of survival and ingenuity. The stranded space scientist must figure out how to sustain life on the parched planet and send a message back to Earth. Otherwise, he will most assuredly die in solitude. As far as suspense is concerned, this is essentially tantamount to Jose Canseco stepping up to the plate at a Little League coach pitch game. So Hunter, I'm curious. You're a man of absolutes. How did Scott fare with the Martian? Did he knock it out of the park? Or did he somehow pull another Prometheus and fail to even hit it beyond that weird semicircle between the plate
1: and the mound? You know, Chris, it's ironic that you introduce this by saying quite rightly that I have a Scythian tendency to speak in absolutes, because I would say that my opinion of this film has more asterisks than Tom Brady's stat sheet.
0: <laughs> Sorry, oh,
1: sports ball. You, yeah, you made the Jose Canseco joke. Uh,
0: I'll make the Tom you, Brady. You notice I made a, a sports joke from my childhood because that's the last time I know. That's, that's the last <laughs> yeah, sports
1: star I know of. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure our, our listenership is just wondering what the hell is going on right now. But anyway, this is a picture that in many ways to me feels like two separate pictures. And one of them I liked a whole bunch, and one of them I I didn't really care for. The movie I liked was Matt Damon marooned on Mars, having to use his ingenuity to try and survive. Mm. I thought that movie was excellent. The other movie was them back on the planet trying to figure out how to get him, and that movie paradoxically seemed both rushed and underdeveloped. <laughs> and so, yeah, I and, see that. And so the the that movie. It, in many ways, by the time it got to the end, it felt like it dragged down what I liked about the Matt Damon Marooned on Mars movie. Mm-hmm. So overall, I would say that this is a good movie. I liked it. But it was it stopped from being a great movie because the more interesting story, the Robinson right, Crusoe right. story that I always love, whatever that picture is, that was that was in many ways the, the suspense and tension was taken away from that mm-hmm. because of the interludes of us going back to Earth. The back yeah, to Earth stuff yeah. didn't really work for me.
0: None of it worked at all. Or? Well,
1: I none of it works. That, that I wouldn't say that none of it worked. I like the idea. The problem with it is whenever you base a film on a book, is you inevitably have to make concessions. Yeah, and this didn't feel like they did that. Usually, you have to either cut characters or consolidate characters. And this, it had characters, but yeah, it's it a, didn't it do is anything with act cast. Right. And,
0: and granted, like there's a lot of people in here, and I think they all do. A pretty great job, but I could definitely see that argument that like, had you trimmed it down a little bit, it would have been more interesting. I mean, I think honestly, the place that I haven't read the book, um, and, we, nor have I, yeah. and, and we talked about this last time on the show, um, I'm more a fan of seeing the movie and then reading the book after to mm-hmm. kind of get it's, it's supplementary to the, the movie, because there's always going to be more in the book. right? And to me, it felt like the, the stuff on Mars felt like there were some ellipses there. Where it I don't know the I, I enjoyed the movie let me let me say I enjoyed it before I say all these things yeah that exactly I didn't well like you and I it. you and
1: I are both going to do the asterisk game I yeah think, this because episode. I,
0: and and you know I've talked with a few people who have seen it and they all seem to really Really like it, mm-hmm. um, so I feel bad not not sharing their sentiment with it. I I enjoyed it. It's certainly better than anything I've seen by Ridley Scott in a while, and I've I, I've definitely avoided some of his. Like I didn't see Exodus: Gods and Kings. I um I I haven't been you know following his entire career for a while now. I don't think
1: he has either. But <laughs> we'll get we'll get to that too. Um, but.
0: The, the Matt Damon stuff I enjoyed, but I felt like it was a little too, for the most part, a little too like, oh, hey, here's a problem. 30 seconds later, I found the solution, Mm -hmm. you know, like that all felt too condensed to me. And, um, I think had there been a little more of the problem solving going on instead of just like, oh, we got to do the math. Okay. Math's done. I I agree with you. Like, like, it's like they put the problems in the microwave and just nuked them.
1: Well, would you say that? I mean, I, I I can certainly see that, and I agree with you on that. Do you think that that might just be a function of the science being boring, perhaps, of him uh, doing I, it, or, do you, or I, maybe it could even you know, be the I would writers? Be,
0: I would be fine with the boring science, though. You know, for for me, and, and maybe that is maybe they. Like I said, I haven't haven't read the book, so I don't know how close it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, people people who I've spoken to who have read the book and seen the movie they they enjoy the adaptation. So mm-hmm. um, I think it is a. a Seems to be fairly faithful for what you can do in, in that realm. Um, but I, I don't know. I would have rather seen the science, even if it is a little boring, because that that could build at least a little bit of suspense that I felt like we were missing here. There's there's to me, there's really only two really dramatic moments in a movie that is, you know, essentially the, the stakes aren't much higher. Like dude was left on a planet right that no one else is on. and it, And it's not
1: that easy to get back there. Um, so then, then, then from that, would I take away that you didn't feel it was that suspenseful or tense? Not for the most part. No, I felt like
0: it was a fun movie mm-hmm. and that, and that was really and like, that, yeah, and that's, that's the that's paradox. Fine, Yeah. Like I, I enjoyed it as a fun movie, but, um, I, I really wish there was more just like edge of your seat, nail biting or, or those sorts of not even, not even really nail biting because I'm fine with, you know, it being, oh, it's a complicated problem to solve but everything seems like it just it rushes so quickly to find a solution that you don't sit in the the you know moment of oh was it going to happen or not
1: i think that you and i probably have the same central criticism it's just uh manifests itself in different ways my opinion of this movie and granted i haven't read the book but the story itself the robinson's crusoe Mm -hmm. is so strong that it outweighs what I think is probably a lazy script and then lazy direction.
0: Yeah. And well, and that's the thing, like uh, when, when I saw that Drew Goddard wrote this, I was kind of, and he's, you know, granted he's worked with Damon Lindelof on, on scripts so th- before. So That
1: stank just rubs <laughs> off on him, just breathing but the same air. I don't know,
0: but uh, Cabin in the Woods, which he wrote and directed, I think he co-wrote with Joss Whedon um, a couple years back. I, I absolutely loved, like he's got, and he's got like a a sense of humor that, Um, I think you need in something like this, like to, to break tension of, uh, dramatic suspenseful moments. But that's the thing is like, I feel like there's way more humor here than there is tension. The the dramatic sense. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, let's, uh, let's go back down to earth literally real quick. Um, I'm going to say a couple of things that I suspect you might disagree with a moment ago. I, a moment ago, I talked about consolidating or eliminating characters, two characters that I, I thought you could have done that with. One, the Kristen Wiig character, I think she probably could have been mm-hmm. done away with because she was a comic relief who wasn't really that funny. I didn't, I didn't think she was really there for comic relief. She, I think she was the voice of the people, the non-scientist in the room, and okay. then all, and then that. I, see, I, I kind of, itself. I kind
0: of saw her as the stooge, like really? yeah, the corporate like, stooge, yeah, and and that's which in and of itself brings comedy, I guess, but well, and she that, plays that, it pretty straight.
1: Well, and to that point, she seemed out of place to me. It seemed like, and and not to, not to,
0: well, there, yeah, there are, there are moments when they're meeting and it's like all these scientists and people from jet propulsion laboratory and and her in a room and like, she's giving an opinion about a topic. That's like, I understand like, it's supposed to be, she's, she's concerned with PR and that's all she's concerned with, but it's almost as if she's trying to make decisions that the impede in in the way in the science and in a weird, like, no, like we can have that conversation separately after we figure out the problem way outside let's, of
1: her, of her qualifications. Yeah, yeah. of Don't
0: like there, there's no way that she understands everything that they're talking about. So let's like separate them, them out. But I guess, you know, you've got to consolidate and you've got to put all those characters in the room just so that you can get through the moment. And that's who, who is, I'm curious, who's your other one? Because well before
1: I, before that, I would say that the thing about Christian Wig is beyond just the character itself. She's I think she's good in Kristen Wig roles, mm-hmm. but whenever she's part of an ensemble and part particular this ensemble, she again, she seemed out of place to I, me. I
0: don't know, I liked her. Like I I I agree. I don't think the character is necessary, but I liked her in the role and I like seeing her do things that are not a typical Kristen Wig uh, role. I, I would like to see her in more stuff like this.
1: All right, fair enough. The other person, and I say this because he's he's one of your guys, Donald Glover. He is doesn't Donald he, Glover like
0: that character. That character is confusing. Like he, he is only sh- he is he, walking,
1: talking exposition with Asperger's. He is, that is what he is. He is the very definition of the Deus Ex Machina. Yeah. He, I don't. I can't remember him showing up before he solved the problem. He showed up just in time to solve the problem and then left there's, afterwards. And,
0: and there's there's a few of those things. Here. And well, here's the other thing. When he shows up, he's like, oh, I've got the answer. And then there's like these weird, vague moments where he's like, I'm not going to tell you what the answer is yet, but I've got it. And didn't a
1: solid 25 minutes pass between him
0: discovering the answer and then revealing the answer? And, And the reveal is like, I mean, it's it's not the I don't know, it's it's not like the we've got to fit this into this sort of solution it's it's like a, a little oh, more abstract these yeah. these are things that you do that you, you know like when I'll, I'll talk around it a little bit but when the basically the execution for this plan is given to those who are going to do it they're like oh yeah we know how to do this thing because it's a thing that we do you so, know what i mean yeah, like so it, it wasn't it, seems- it wasn't like oh this brilliant kid came up with a great idea that no one would have ever thought of
1: so then my solution to that would be taking the and i'm gonna butcher this but the bruce knee character who is the team leader kind of consolidated. the the jpl team leader yeah the, the guy who's kind of uh, liaison between nasa and, and well and that's the thing is he's supposed to be this brilliant engineer and when you mm-hmm. come down to it he only plays uh a liaison like you said so if we gave him that moment it would have felt uh, better and more earned yeah. versus well, you know the this Donald is Glover character this is
0: something interesting that i hadn't really thought about but you're talking about consolidating and and you know making the the earth stuff just isn't that interesting i think had they done a little more maybe with the, the JPL guys, because they're the ones who are really solving the problem on the Earth side. But it seems more like they're getting orders from Kristen Wig and from Jeff Daniels, who's the is he the head of NASA right. or head of mm-hmm. whatever? You know, he's they're just constantly getting orders, being told, here's your deadline. And then you don't really see them coming up with a solution. You don't you don't see it like in Apollo 13, where you see the guys coming together to, um, you know, try to find a solution. You don't really get a whole lot of that.
1: Well and I think and that, that's what I feel is missing. No, yeah, that just it's just it it's I say lazy, it just feels like lazy direction, lazy script writing. It's good story, but let's not it's not let's explore how far we can take this story and how great a movie you can make. It's just the story's good, let's film the story. Yeah. And that's how I would describe it. Um, it kind of feels like we've been shitting on it, like Martian soil, trying to grow potatoes. (laughs) And I, and we both, so we've been successful, right? Exactly. Um, but we both liked the picture. Yeah. So let's, let's try and make this optimistic here. How did you feel about Matt Damon?
0: I, I thought, I thought Matt Damon was good. I like, I like the entire cast, even, even the people who are playing characters that don't necessarily need to be there. I think they do a, do a fine job with it. Uh, Donald Glover is honestly a bit, he's a bit broad but whatever. Like the, the character should be I bet be there he didn't
1: even anyway. get directed. He, he probably it, just was no. so nervous well, he was in a Ridley Scott movie that but, he just... Uh,
0: but that's like his, some of his mannerisms seem like things from his Derek's comedy days, like his sketch comedy days. Um, it's, I don't know, it's very odd. Anyway, um, Matt Damon, I like him. I think at times he almost has too much charm and charisma and that sort of thing. That <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: circumstances.
0: Well, that's, and and I fully understand like this is, this is why I don't want to just totally bash on the film because I like the idea of a movie that is, you know, the other side of what we got out of something like Gravity, which is this very cerebral, heady, like, um, you know, you know about all the personal life and the problems mm-hmm. and, and that's – um, that's the driving struggle, whereas, a painful
1: movie at times you can, where, say. whereas
0: this, yeah. Uh, whereas this is more about hope and humanity and the ability to solve anything through critical thinking, that sort of thing. Like, I like that. Um, but he has so much charm and enthusiasm and, and so much like he, he's a bit, the character is a bit of a, um, a bit of an ass, you know, just that he, he believes in himself so much. And, and they play on that some in, in the, the film of uh, people back on Earth, you know, play on his uh, one, ego stroking. Right. A bit.
1: Well, and to that and, point, there's a lot of and this is almost a, a whole separate conversation. But to that point, there's a whole lot of opportunity for satire that wasn't taken advantage hmm. of in this picture.
0: Yeah, I, I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. But here's here's my thing with uh, my, my point with that is Damon is, you know, he's so confident then I never think he's in trouble. You know what I mean? Like yeah.
1: He's like, well, I got to figure out how to. He might as well just be lost in the middle of Arizona it, at times. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it's not like he's truly the only person on this planet. Um, this re- and this is kind of a divergent. But um, did you ever watch the Twilight Zone back in the day? No. OK. I there- mean, I've I've seen sparse episodes, but I did not. There's this one magnificent episode that this reminds me of about a prisoner who is sent to a deserted planet. And he is given a robot to, to make him, give him company. Mm -hmm. And the, the isolation in that episode was what this movie was missing. He didn't, Matt Damon on Mars all by himself, separated by people by four years, Mm -hmm. didn't feel as isolated.
0: I, I I totally agree. And I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying he needed to, like, his will needed to be broken and it was, needed to be that sort of thing. maybe it did. Maybe it did. Well, I think it, I think it did a little bit. Like, I think you need, you need... Some flow like if if you don't have a gradient of emotions, then it's it's a little like it was just it was difficult for me to buy into him really being in that much danger. Like it always seemed like, well, it sucks that he's alone, but he's got it all figured out.
1: For yeah, the most just, part. just a matter of time. That's fair. Um, Anthony Lane of The New Yorker in his uh, review of this film said that Matt Damon being the most unmovie star of movie stars was mm. perfect for this because we can be in his position. Do you agree with that, or do you think this would have been better with someone who's louder? Who who would you suggest, like in as an alternative? Well, he mentioned this person. Anthony Lane mentioned this person as someone it shouldn't have been, but Christian Bale I think could have really conveyed the isolation and the pain. Of yeah, Bale. but I
0: but I don't think I don't think we need that Christian Bale performance in this. Like that's not that would totally change the theme of the movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I. I would be totally open to someone other than Matt Damon. I think he did a fine job. Um, I I wish he would have toned it back a little bit, just
1: just to give a little bit of range of, um, you know, of, of, of drama. Well, then I'll throw out two other names just, you know, for fun's sake. Um, Will Smith. Do you think that would have no. been? Okay, not at all. No, not not for this movie. All right. And then uh, Chris Pratt, uh, who I, th- I kind of think he's in. I, I don't know. Matt Damon-esque.
0: I, I would say, I would say... Un, like, I would like to see it, but I can't give you a, a strong confirmation that I think it would work yeah. if that like I, I just he Chris Pratt's one of those guys that I'm really excited to see what he does over the next like 15 years, um, because I don't think we've seen his full range. And I think I think he's still got some surprises for us
1: um, you know, tucked away. This just was completely random. And it's kind of funny that this happened, but Christian Bale, he was in rescue Dawn, which was also about a person fighting to survive. And then Will Smith of course was in, I am legend. So they've kind of already done their man alone, isolated. Yeah. So it'd almost be repeating if they were in this picture, maybe that's why they just subconsciously those names popped into my head.
0: Maybe that's an, I, I, I didn't, catch that when he, yeah i i mean i don't know I mean, damon's fine i think it's more more than anything i think it's tone and direction i think i think he would have been capable of doing what i wanted it just it didn't
1: come across well this this isn't about the movie per se but what do you think accounts for damon's consistent popularity as a movie star
0: i mean charm dude you think like, so? and and i think he is i think he is deceptively uh good at pulling off different you know, different styles or different, um, you know, he's, he, he is more versatile than I think most of us give him credit for, unless I, we're putting him up against uh, Ben Affleck.
1: I'm, I'm glad that you gave me the Ben Affleck transition because... Despite growing up together, being best friends, they really are polar opposites, because yeah. whereas Matt Damon, I think his consistent success is that he is just really smart. He picks right, the right roles. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ben Affleck. Although, although he
0: does want to do Daredevil with Christopher Nolan, if it was to ever happen.
1: Was he just was that serious? Was that,
0: that's that's what somebody was telling me the other day in an interview. He said, like, if he could do any his superhero, he would do Daredevil with Christopher Nolan, which just sounds bizarre. Sorry,
1: to, sorry. To, it, well, maybe he just wants to be like be like Ben Affleck there, but for, by and large, he's made good decisions. Yeah, I so, I, I
0: think he's made nearly immaculate decisions. Exactly. Even, which is even hard. when he's doing something like the informant, which seems like a weird like. Why would you put on? I don't know if it's thirty or fifty pounds to mm-hmm. to do this movie. That's not you know. It's not a huge. It's not a huge movie, and therefore it's. It's no surprise that it's not a huge box office, you know. Dry. I, I think it did fine, but it's just it's an odd choice to be that dedicated to uh, something that that is you know fairly small.
1: But he's good in everything. He makes good choices, whether it's the a small movie like The Informant or a big movie like The Martian. Yeah. Compared to his buddy, who even when he wins an Oscar his very next decision after making an Oscar, we haven't seen the movie yet, but it kind of feels like a mistake is Batman V Superman. (laughs) So Ben Affleck just chronically makes mistakes. Yeah. But I think makes bad decisions. I was just
0: having a conversation with a couple guys today about this. I think Ben Affleck is also cast poorly. Like people cast him for characters that he can play, but that aren't his best abilities. Um, Because I think, I mean, we've, we've debated this several times, but I think, Uh, Fincher, putting him in gone girl is just such a brilliant, like, I want to see him do more things like that, that are a little dark, a little, well,
1: and what's fascinating about that circumstance is that was almost 15 years in the making of 15 years. What are we going to do with this guy? And then finally finding the perfect role. Whereas again, to bring it back down to Mars, I guess, uh, Matt Damon has just from the very start, he has, uh, picked the right things. I believe her name was Stella Adler. I believe it was Stella Adler, the, uh, the, the great method. Teacher, yes, yeah. I believe it was her who said this, but the the statement is that the brilliance is in the choices, and people thought that she meant within the role itself the choices you make while you're acting, yeah. but really she meant the choices of the, the, of the parts you take, and in that regard, I think Matt Damon might be peerless as far as contemporary actors. Yeah,
0: I I'd agree with that. I mean, it, and and it's you could almost make this the same statement about Will Smith up until maybe a few years ago, but I think Will Smith has consistently been sort of the same playing right. the same role exactly. as well whereas Damon is very versatile. Um, do you have anything else that you want to add to this?
1: Uh, not over. I mean just I'll, I'll I'll encompass everything we've just talked about. Okay, uh, before you do, I just I have
0: some gripes that I right. that I want to get out. Um GoPro's on space everything. Why? Why? Well why not, just dude? Why? I mean
1: that's that's what
0: that's what uh you gotta, that's what Gen Xers do. You know how often you're gonna have to change those batteries, bro? You know how often you're gonna have to change out those memory cards? Those memory cards are gonna be impossible to switch out with those those big gloves. This is just just All right. a terrible okay, so that that really bothers <laughs> me. Um the just the way the screens, like the on-screen screens looked in this movie, bugged the crap out of me. Um it was this, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't look like an actual, like if you're filming a screen and I'm fine with that, but it, I don't know. Was
1: uh, it too, what do you think it was too, um, she, that
0: do you think it was too chic? Uh, I, it's not exactly that, but there is like, they over sharpen the crap out of it. They over sharpen a lot in the movie, but definitely those either, you know, POV shots or those confessional shots, those sorts of things. Like it's, it's just really gross and ugly and they were trying to make it feel maybe a little too chic and a little too you know futury. but also and i i don't know that really bothers like th- these are all really just technical uh <laughs> problems
1: with it and then I it think- sounds like you should write a huffington post article <laughs> about the top top five technical things wrong with this um and I have one other thing, but I'll get to it. I'll,
0: let's let's you can wrap up. Well, and if, if
1: you don't mind me saying, Chris, it kind of feels like you may be sciencing the shit out of this <laughs> and it's compromising your enjoyment of the picture. Uh, but like I said at the start, I think that the Robinson Crusoe on Mars kind of scenario is just so great yeah. that it's always going to be entertaining. This was it, it. Was a good movie, but I felt it had a lazy script and lazy direction, and that kept it from being a great movie. It mm-hmm. kept it from them taking advantage of the opportunities the story afforded them. And in some ways, even though I haven't read the book, it felt like they just filmed the book.
0: Yeah, and honestly, if nothing else, it actually does make me want to read the book to see, you know, what what else is there and what maybe they're where more stressful situations are and that sort of thing. And I understand there's also a lot of humor in it, which, I mean, there is, there is quite a bit of humor in the film, but um, I'd like, I'd like to see how that sort of plays out because there's definitely kind of audio cues and things that would not work in a, what I understand is sort of a journal entry mm-hmm. form. Um, so my overall, like I enjoyed it. I honestly going in, I was afraid that I was going to come out sort of, super pessimistic and and in this like oh well does it really matter that all the science is right if the movie's bad and i'm glad i don't have to like try to
1: make that argument because I would just come off as a pedantic. Well, like. I, I kind of think that the science, did they, I mean, did they do that whole top 10 things wrong with, uh, 2001, a space odyssey? I think that's just a function of the internet in and yeah, clickbait but, articles. But you me. know,
0: when Neil deGrasse Tyson's tweeting about it <laughs> and, and saying, you know, we, because with gravity, he was like, Oh, this is all bogus. And this is like, that doesn't matter. Like story. Yeah, get I, a I, job, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think you might have a couple. Um, but I like point, my point is, is that, I'm I'm glad I didn't have to try to like draw it straws there because you know the science I from what I understand the science is good and that's great like but that's not ultimately the only thing that 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 matters uh my other my final nitpick is the poster and and a lot of the you know trailers and material for this have this logo that says see it on large format which I believe they just mean see it on a IMAX, the most expensive theater possible. Mm -hmm. If, if you could shell out as many clams as possible for the ticket, that's, that's what we really want. The takeaway there. And honestly, I don't feel like this is a movie that you necessarily, I agree with that. need to see like as an experience and which was surprising to me. Um, because it felt like, you know, Ridley Scott doing sci-fi. Yeah. Like, you show it to me in the most. It pristine. did not.
1: It did not emphasize the epicness of what was going on as much as, say, Interstellar Gravity. Yeah. it was. It was or way even. More I mean, I kept
0: thinking about. Scale. I kept thinking about like the searchers, or you know, th- there's a very Monument Valley sort of landscape, and it looks nice, but it just it never felt majestic and ethereal,
1: or or menacing and. Terrifying. One thing that uh, I do want to mention before we bow out of this review is this movie and movies like this always teach me just how unqualified I am to be lost. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I would I would not make it 5 minutes deserted yeah. on Mars. Well, but but imagine if
0: if Michael Peña or one of the other guys was left behind, they would be screwed.
1: Oh yeah, it absolutely. Was only, it was only because he was a botanist that he got really lucky. So, uh speaking of botany, Chris, um you're lost on Mars and you have nothing to drink except for one beer. Uh-huh. One beer to drink on Mars. What is it?
0: Okay, so I I like that framing because uh, this beer I actually picked, uh, with a direct relation to Mars. This is a kind of a cop-out, I think. Honestly, Well, when
1: you say direct relation to Mars, does that mean that it is fermented in human feces and Martian soil? Uh, I don't think so, but maybe I, mean, <laughs> I haven't, very well be. I haven't
0: visited the brewery, which is a shame because it's, it's right in our own backyard. Um, I say it's an obvious pick because it's the Revival Red Ale by Marshall Brewing Company in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And this pairing basically writes itself in the film, Damon stranded on the red planet. And as the name suggests, this beer pours a beautiful red hue, you know, like the Martian with Scott, the revival red is not my all time favorite brew from Marshall, uh, but I enjoy it. Even if it is a bit abrasive, uh, you see there, there is a bit of a catch here with, with this. It's a, it's a red ale. So it's, it's kind of dark and, uh, you would expect something very malty, uh, but it actually has a deceptive bitter bite. Uh, particularly in the finish. Uh, So don't expect any sweet caramely goodness to flow across your taste buds with this one. Uh, While Matt Damon's Mark Watney attempts to survive the inhospitable climate of Mars, your palate will attempt to survive this beer's Trojan horse sneak attack. Now, it's currently out of season, but I imagine The Martian will be available to rent around the time it returns in the spring. And that's, you know, a perfectly acceptable way to view this film, in my opinion. Uh, that's Revival Red Ale by
1: Marshall Brewing Company. Well, there you have it, folks. Chris liked it. I liked it. You should definitely see it, though. Don't necessarily shell out 25 bucks to see a NIMAX 7 seventy. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. The Martian is currently playing in theaters nationwide. So if you've seen it, tell us via Martian Rover at hello at, at com.
0: Or if email or Martian Rover isn't your thing, we'd still love to hear from you. Ring the red phone and leave us a voicemail at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4CINEMA.
1: However, bear in mind that we are using a landline connection, so it'll take us at least 86 souls to get back to your call. Oh uh, yeah, I forgot to mention that. I'm sorry. Yeah, a soul being a Martian day. You yeah. y- y- Just see the picture, you'll get it. In the meantime, stick around, because we're going to discuss the career of Sir Ridley Scott during our special features topic, Reviewing Ridley. Hound dreams, breaking
0: ground, nothing's ever gonna bring us down. Our cathedrals are all prickly thorns They greet the muse like a stranger in war I will follow you to the temple's gate Through my caution in the offering plate The fear in your heart is where passion grows There will bloom a priestly desert rose The streets are flooding, Cherokee red Woe and wrong Mystic mother still a flame
1: for her just the same. Sir Ridley Scott occupies a unique place in the pantheon of 1970s era auteurs. For starters, the dude's a knight. So should the British Isles ever be besieged by dragons, orcs, white walkers, or Norman invaders, the Queen will summon Sir Ridley to service, whence he shall gallantly defend the realm beside Sir Tom Jones and Sir Elton John.
0: Uh, I don't
1: think that's how it works, Hunter. Sure it does. I read it on BuzzFeed. Oh, okay. Anywho, Sir Ridley is also alone among 70s era auteurs, but for a less magisterial reason. For nearly four decades, he's been batting about a 50-50 on the bad movie scale, in other words, not Jose Cansego. <laughs> sure, Spielberg and Scorsese have had their stinkers, and Coppola crapped out when Carter was still president. Hey, I kind of have a soft spot for Jackman. But you can still make a case that their mugs belong on the Mount Rushmore movie directors. Despite his sterling reputation, Sir Ridley has been unreliable since the start, leading one to wonder, is he really that good of a director? Yes, good, even great directors sometimes make bad films— but one could just as easily argue that Ridley Scott is a mediocre director who sometimes makes good films. So by setting our sights on Scott, Chris and I are discussing a much larger issue. What makes a great director? Can the potency of a few great pictures outweigh the collective stank of several turkeys? Or should we measure a director by his overall consistency and quality, and not by a few outstanding outliers in an otherwise unimpressive oeuvre? So Chris, let's start here. Has Ridley Scott ever made an unequivocal, indisputable, undeniable, indubitable masterpiece?
0: I want to, I, you know, I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to say it's Alien. And then I'm going to hedge this with, it's been a while since I've seen it. I fully intended to watch it before this discussion and just didn't have time.
1: Fascinating. I guess the, the theme for this episode is going to be uh, non-absolutes. Because, because I was fully expecting you to just that, say that, alien and that, that- that's, that's the theme of my life,
0: <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I do feel personally, I do feel alien is an immaculately crafted film and it's, I, I think the scope is right. You know, it's not too big, um, but it's, it's just a it really, it, it does something that I think other directors have tried to rip off mm-hmm. um, with sci-fi movies ever since and to generally to much Less effect, Um, because I think they they try to rip off the aesthetic, not necessarily the
1: actual execution. Well, I and to that point, I think that second only to 2001, there hasn't been a sci fi movie that made the future seem so eerie Mm. and Mm -hmm. made space seem so empty. Yeah. Which I mean, that was the tagline in space. No one can hear you scream. And then yeah. that it's truly borne out by the picture. It just feels very lonely, more lonely than the Martian did. Funny enough. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And
0: but it, feel, it also feels lived in. And it feels like, you know, it, it feels like there is a history to that ship from, you know, far before we joined
1: the crew. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like um it's, the nostromo just so for our get yes, our nerd credibility yes. here
0: um it's it's not you know the naboo cruiser from episode 1 where it's just everything's bright and shiny and clean and mm-hmm. it's it's really like if if you'd been out in space for a while things would would be a little you know leaky and eerie and gross and
1: well and i love that about it okay so alien is a lowercase m masterpiece we'll say for now it's not we'll we'll say for now maybe i'll maybe i'll try to watch it and confirm but yeah i i think so all right um it kind of surprises me that you haven't mentioned this because i was under the impression that you were a huge blade runner buff is that not the case i so i really like blade
0: runner but here's the thing. There's like eight cuts of the movie and I,
1: it's kind of hard to keep up with, keep up with which one you like.
0: Well, that, yeah, that's no, I it's, it's hard to keep up with for me to keep up with what happens other than like the work print, having the voiceover through half of it. Um, it's hard for me to keep up with what happens in which one, what the differences are and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I think the one that I've seen the most is just the normal theatrical release. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen the work print, I have seen the what his definitive extended director's cut or whatever,
1: um, as well. I like it, I how like how many times, t- and, and to do the Jose Canseco thing here again, how many times does Ridley get to go to bat for Blade Runner? Like he just keeps on getting to come back again and <laughs> well, again think, and again to it, make his perfect are, movie. There are four cuts, is that correct?
0: Uh, Maybe it's just three, Question but I mark. feel like there's, I feel like there's four.
1: Maybe, maybe um, a Hunter Hater
0: knows. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I like it. I like it a lot. I would, I would say I like alien more. Um, I think the, you know, and, and they're two very different movies as well. Like alien is this science fiction horror film, which is not a, not a genre. I think we get enough of um, really like really a uncharted territory uh there like i i I would love to get something like that again and you know i thought we maybe were with prometheus and it turned out to be just a you know it's he's going through his own sort of strokes without you know he himself is missing the point of what made alien work i think right he's he's
1: imitating a better director
0: Um, where whereas blade runner is you know, it's much bigger in scope. I think the wet, dreary Los Angeles, future Los Angeles, is great. I love the noir tone of it. Um, I really love Harrison Ford in it. You know, it's that 80s Harrison Ford, the good Harrison Ford, um, that, that I that I love from you know around the time of Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Yeah, right. Like, uh, uh, Rutger Howard is incredible in it, better than anything I've ever
1: seen him in since. Um, With the exception of blind hobo, killer hobo, whatever. Yeah, I'm sorry. Was that the, your recommendation? I'm sorry.
0: Come on. Man. I jump. You gun. always do this to me. Yeah. All right. Um. But the wait are we just to clear things up are we talking about hobo with a shotgun or are we talking again about the blind <laughs> the blind, actually, the blind I mi- samurai i mixed them up i yeah, mixed you, them up they became them one in, movie which they're probably in the works <laughs> might, yeah, on that exactly right now. might as well be um but yeah it's it still has things that are i don't know don't fully work with me and alien doesn't have but
1: those. is it a masterpiece
0: um, it's, or
1: could you make the case?
0: It is it is a, a m- incredible technical achievement. So on, I think on a technical scale, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm and, – and maybe it's because of the confusion with all the different cuts. I don't know if I'm ready to say like story-wise and, and all that
1: it is because it's a bit uh, schizophrenic. Well, and that, yeah, okay. Well, and that's a great way to put it and literally schizophrenic because it's got multiple versions. Yeah. Um, my thing with Blade Runner is the first time I saw it, I didn't really like it. And I thought there was something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's one of those movies that if you don't like it, everyone says it's a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. And then cause you, go, you, you go
0: in with such high expectations right? because it's just it's a God given. I mean, it, it's like Citizen Kane. I think most people nowadays go into Citizen Kane thinking, well, this has to be the best I, thing. I I either ever. I
1: have to like it or I have to hate it one or the yeah. other.
0: And then and then typically, I mean, I know my experience was like, well, that was it. And then like, it's only, you know, revisiting it every few years. Like it's grown on me year after year after year. Like, Oh, holy crap. And, and it's one of those movies that I, um, you know, discover new things with much the same way I do with Blade Runner. I feel like every time I watch Blade Runner, I forget something happened or I question like, have I seen
1: this version before? Did that happen in the other one? Like, well, and I'm sure all of those mysteries will be solved in Blade Runner two coming out in the next couple yeah, of years. I, but oh. when you think about it, um, it kind of, it's a perfect storm of awesome. Cause as you said, it's eighties Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. It's post alien Ridley Scott. It's a noir coming, coming right off. Yeah, of alien. It's a, it's a noir. And then it's also a post-apocalyptic future and yet it just doesn't I I, I just really didn't have you just seen it the once I've seen it twice okay I've seen it twice yeah and I can't remember I think I've seen the the director's cut once and then the original once okay but to your point about it being a technical achievement it's important for two reasons one because I think it was indeed the first director's cut I believe that this was the first picture in which that idea was introduced Hmm. the director's Hmm. cut and then also as you said technical achievement the much with as with aliens is a lot of the ideas and the cinematography and the uh, production design found their way in other pictures.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, I'm I'm going to real quickly drop a factoid bomb on you after,
1: after the predator episode. I (laughs) I mean, you could talk for 20 straight minutes. I've got
0: a few stored up. This isn't a huge thing, but uh, I I don't know if you're familiar with the stand-up comedian, Doug Benson, Um, probably not your style. He does a lot of jokes about uh, how he's high all the time. But Doug Benson too close to home. Um, (laughs) Doug Benson is actually in Blade Runner as an extra, I believe like, which, which makes him far older than I thought he was. But I think he's like, you know, mid teens or something like that. But, uh,
1: yeah, he's running around, I think in a trench coat in just in the background as an extra, that's all. All right. (laughs) And we're done. Good night, folks. (laughs) Uh, you mentioned this in your review of the Martian. Uh, you really like the director's cut of kingdom of heaven. Yeah.
0: And, and I think that's a, like, okay, we're so... Gonna, we're
1: going to jump 20-something years here.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we got, what, G.I. Jane and some other... Uh, Thelma and Louise in between. We'll get to Thelma yeah. Louise, I imagine. Um, but, yeah, The Kingdom of Heaven. It's a movie that I saw. I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw that theatrical cut. And I was like, this is utter garbage. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, it just put me
1: right to sleep. Pure
0: trash. And uh, then... I had a friend who kept insisting, like, you got to see the director's cut. You got to see the director's cut. You got to see the director's cut. And I was like, fine, fine. It's three and a half hours long, but fine, we'll watch it. And it's amazing. It's really good. It's, um, you know, how I was talking with uh, almost famous a while back about how you know they were able to mm-hmm. yeah. miraculously trim it down. They they were not able to do that <laughs> with. Kingdom of Heaven. It's just a, it's a mess, and you see where all the weird inconsistencies and the things that just feel like they just happened. Um, there's, you know, large plot points and stuff that have been pulled out, and it's all been stitched together. And I don't know. I, this is totally just my opinion. I, I've done no research in this. So, um, this is not a factoid uh, bomb. This is is not a factoid bomb. This is just a, a a, Trumpian makes something up. Yeah. This is the way that I've always kind of seen it is I, I think I, or at least I like to think that Ridley Scott kind of made intentionally made two movies. He knew that he could never make the movie that he wanted to, to be released in the theater. But he had enough cachet to still shoot that movie, give the studio what they wanted, and then give them what he wanted to be a, you know, you know people will buy the DVD and then we'll release the director's cut later and then they'll double dip and buy the director's cut as well. And the director's cut is far
1: superior. Well, I'm glad you said that because given that Ridley Scott is indeed the poster child for the director's cut, he practically invented with Blade Runner. Do you think that's wrong to – release an inferior film.
0: Yeah, I, I think I do. I mean, it's one of those things where on the one hand to get something like, you know, this grand epic about the crusades, like kingdom of heaven. Like I like that. I appreciate that. But, um, I wish there was another way to go about doing it. I wish there was an easier way to go about doing it. And, you know, like I've always admired Martin Scorsese for saying that he will never go back and alter you know, a film of his once it's done and once it's premiered um, because I think there is something to being able to let go. And I, and you know, this isn't a George Lucas. Are sort you of sure situation. about that?
1: Because I, I thought, didn't he, didn't he reinsert Leo into all of his old pictures?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Somebody needs to do that. We need to do that. Um, well, you need to do that. I don't, yeah, I wouldn't even know yeah. how to do well, it. You'll, you'll, you'll give me the instructions and then I'll do it. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I admire that about him that he's, Able to
1: what's done is done. Say
0: yeah, yeah, like even even if there is something that he knows he could have done better, it it exists as well. I could have done that better, but let's. I got I got other things I need to do. Let's move on. Mm -hmm. And you know, I don't like I was saying. I don't think Scott is necessarily doing the George Lucas thing where he's going back and re-editing and re-editing and Mm re-editing. But still, he spends a lot of time. And I he kind of did with Blade Runner. I mean, he. I think there are two director's cuts. I think there is – I'm almost sure. There's the director's
1: cut and then the definitive director's cut. Surely someone knows. This, this might be so esoteric I, of information. I've got, it, I've got it
0: on the shelf over there somewhere.
1: <laughs> well, but you're assuming that they haven't released two or three since that. That's true. That, yeah. That's true. <laughs> All right. Um, so we've talked about the, the kingdom of heaven was kind of random in many ways, but you've really liked it. Um, we've talked about the ones that are usually considered masterpieces. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some of his lesser pieces. You mentioned a moment ago, Thelma and Louise. Yeah. Uh, my opinion on that is the movie's okay, but it's cultural cachet is very, very high.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's fair. It's so I like Thelma and Louise. I think it's, it's a bit broad in the melodrama. Um, but I think it somehow gets away with it. Like it it works for me. I, I think the performances are great. Like the, um, here's, here's the thing that I, I find very odd about it and about Ridley Scott, Ridley Scott seems to not have really an agenda per se. Like he can make a movie like Thelma and Louise, which is like in some, you know, it's, it's a bit of a pro feminist sort of,
1: well, it's almost um, somebody else's movie.
0: Yeah. And then and then he makes something like Exodus, Gods and Kings and casts Christian Bale as Moses. I mean, it's like, what is the dude doing? Like, what is his where, where is he coming from? What is his core? Yeah, as a filmmaker, he himself might actually be an alien. That might be like he's he just looks at the way that people, you know, uh, react to, and he doesn't have his own form. He just takes the form of others. Or maybe he's just a knight in shitty
1: armor, is <laughs> is what we should say. Maybe, maybe so. You're um, onto something there. All right. So Thumb and Louise, I qualify it as a lesser piece just because of its cultural cachet. Yeah, I
0: mean, I think it's one that you should definitely see. Um, and as as a, not even as like a completionist of Ridley Scott, because it definitely goes far above like G.I. Jane
1: or Legend or... Some others. Right. What? Okay. Well, I'm not even sure if this would be a lesser piece, but, uh, maybe a masterpiece black Hawk down. Have you seen it? How do you feel
0: about it? Yeah. I like black Hawk down. I like black Hawk down a lot. Um, it's, a, it's a movie
1: we watched a lot in high school. I don't know why. I guess because uh, it was. I, a, see, that's the thing. I've never seen it all the way through. It was always playing in the background in high school, <laughs> okay, and so I don't okay. think I've ever sat down and watched Black. No, Rock I have. Now. I
0: have fond memories of watching it at at the same friend's house a few times. Um, and I've I've seen it more than that. But um, yeah, I I like it quite a bit. I think it's a I think it's a good you know. It, it rides the line of of being. It's it's from that time of the action movie that's very shaky and visceral and, and right up in in your face. Um, but I think it's well, uh, I think it's well executed
1: and, uh, yeah, I think it's a pretty fun ride. Or I think, can you make the case that he was just ripping off Steven Spielberg who had made, uh, saving private Ryan a couple years beforehand?
0: Um, are you, are you saying like, are you asking me to make that case or are you 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 saying, could
1: somebody make that? I,
0: I think, I think they could, but I think they're coming from very different, Um, And maybe this speaks to him, you know, kind of being that alien again, like he's not, he's not just straight aping saving, saving private Ryan. He's still doing uh, a, a thing that feels unique, but doesn't necessarily totally feel Ridley Scott. Um, I guess maybe honestly, it does feel a little akin to Gladiator, which was, I believe, just okay. Well, that.
1: and then, okay, would you say Gladiator's masterpiece, lesser piece, or overrated, or all the above?
0: Uh, it might be all the above. as As a kid, I would have said, or you know, when I was I was younger, greatest
1: movie ever. I would have
0: I would have said absolute masterpiece. Um, and I think it's still a great movie. I keep I keep using the term well executed, but I think that's something that whenever he is at his best, he just lines everything up so well and everything comes together so well and i think this is one where it's not quite that um but he does he does do some very interesting things with um the way that he chose to shoot certain scenes you know he shoots the action with um a a shutter that that actually instead of having motion blur you have very staccato images. So whenever they, they go together, it has just an odd, eerie, almost unidentifiable, uh, feeling about them. Mm -hmm. And then, and then that, you know, was, was something that was, uh, echoed in by many other, you know, it's kind of like people ripping off Tarantino. Um, he, he did the, the same thing. And I think, you know, I think Spielberg might've been doing that with Saving Private Ryan around the same time, but, um, I think that's one of the things that I like about them is I can – from a technical achievement standpoint, even if there are things that fall flat – and I think there are some story things in Gladiator that kind of –
1: Bit Lifetime movie.
0: Yeah, I I, I could do without or I I could see them, you know, just the edges trimmed off and and make it a little –
1: Um, a little more malleable of a, of a picture, but, um, I still really enjoy it. You know, maybe Ridley Scott would have just been a better cinematographer. I mean, there's not as much glory in it, but maybe that's the takeaway here. Are
0: are we going to, are we going to get into his like commercials, his BMW commercials and all those things?
1: Actually, I hadn't even thought of that because the, the 1984 commercial is considered the greatest commercial of all time. It's
0: great. It's really good. Really darn good. That's all I've got to say about it, but, <laughs> <All right. laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, he came up and his brother, Tony came up as commercial directors as, you know, Fincher did and yeah, lots a lot of do. guys of that, that time. But, um, I, I think it does show a bit in his, uh, willingness to try different
1: things. Yeah. Cause I believe that he still goes back to commercials and maybe commercials yeah. is where he is more experimental. Mm-hmm. And then if it works, he brings it, carries it over to his pictures, all right, one more lesser piece, unless you've got another uh, American Gangster. Hmm. Have you seen it? You don't like it?
0: I I've seen. Okay, here is my thing with American Gangster. We've been talking about his. Uh, well, let me let me ask you first. What is, do you have? Have you seen it? Do you have uh, an opinion? I on like
1: it? A, I liked American Gangster. I really enjoyed it, but it is clearly it, it it's it's it, it, that ship has sailed. You know, yeah, it, it's yeah. not something that's going to stand the test of time. It's I. I
0: that's mostly how I feel. Here is where I get like up in arms about it. The director's cut. Oh, you're making, you know, there's of course a, direct- <laughs> there's a director's cut for no reason. It's, it's not even that much longer. By the way, we should record another, ep- this episode and, 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 and release, it, yeah. release the longer director's cut of yeah. it. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, but the director's cut of that movie, this is the perfect way to, to close this off because it's just, he does it. He always does it. Um, it, it, So maybe maybe actually with the Martian, maybe we will get like a three hour director's cut where all those things that it's just, oh, my God, that I wanted for, you know, building tension. He just took
1: them out and he'll put them back. We'll probably get five or six. The entire is. Yeah, we'll we'll get
0: the entire novelization over the course of a three part miniseries that he shot. It'll be great. Um, But the director's cut, he doesn't change a whole lot. It's more it's more in the lines of like, oh, some deleted scenes and stuff. Here's the one major thing, and I'll I'll see if I can find this online anywhere or something because you you really need to see it side by side with the end. So the end of the theatrical cut is, I guess, spoilers for American Gangster. It doesn't matter. It's not only um, is it a movie; it's history. It, it, the movie was <laughs> ten or yeah.
1: fifteen years ago, and it's also history.
0: Um, so. Denzel Washington gets out of prison and Russell Crowe – I don't remember the character's name, so I'm just going with the actors – goes and kind of meets him. And there's this whole, like, moment of, um, oh, this is what the world looks like now, essentially. Like, they're walking and and it's the, you know, young man has become the old man and and it's sort of that. And then uh, end role credits, essentially. Mm-hmm. The director's cut – that that scene is a little longer where I think there's maybe – He comments on some kids shoes and what's a latte. It's a coffee with milk and some real like just what like you don't need those sorts of
1: things, especially to finish out the film. But here's – do you have something to say? Well, I was just going to say, because I haven't seen the director's cut, it sounds like basically the 15-year-old trying to pad an essay to make it hit 15 pages. Yeah, that's kind
0: of what it is. And so, like, all those things that they cut out, like, weren't necessary. It's good that they cut them out. So I don't know why he put them back in. Maybe just because he shot it. Um, And then it ends on – and I'm trying to think. I can't remember if it's the exact moment that the other one ends – Or if it's a little bit, I think it's maybe a little bit later, but it ends with Denzel Washington's going to cross the street and then um, like a car comes by real quick and Russell Crowe puts his arm out and like stops him. And I think the idea is like, oh, the world it's, it's faster than ever, but it does like this freeze frame. I think it even frames them like as a portrait and then does like black and white
1: and then a slow push and like twist.
0: It's the weirdest thing.
1: Like, it's so unnecessary. It's almost like he just discovered some filmic technique yeah, like and I, decided to incorporate it here. I
0: hope, I really hope this is on the internet because I want people to see just how unnecessary this is. It's so weird. Like, I do not understand why he, why he
1: did it. All right. So, Chris, the $64,000 question Ridley Scott, great director? Question mark. Question mark. That that, 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 that could probably be the answer. That's my answer.
0: No, I think I think he's a director capable of great making great films. I think he's proven that over the course of his career, but I also think he's an unreliable director. And even with something like The Martian, which seems like it should be right in his wheelhouse, um, he might be slipping a little bit. Like, I don't know if he's got another great one in him, although it's still better than Prometheus and Prometheus seemed like the exact movie
1: he should be making. So I don't know. What, what do you think? I'm going to compare him to a director that will surprise you. But the more I think about it, I think it's, it's valid. John Waters, John Waters. No, um, Clint Eastwood. And okay. by that, I mean he is a director who is almost to a fault loyal to the script. Mm-hmm. And so Ridley Scott is going to film the script much like Clint Eastwood is going to Are film Are you the saying
0: that go to black and white? Well, actually, it was funny
1: that you said that because Clint Eastwood's movies, that's how they end, is the freeze frame. Uh-huh. So many of his movies, if not all of them, end on a freeze frame. So whenever you said that, I thought, oh, my gosh, that's perfect. Because <laughs> when you think of Clint Eastwood, you think of someone who he has a few really great movies and then just a, a lot of OKs yeah. in, the, in the interim. But they're both directors who – they'll film the script. They want to get that script done as soon as possible. And what you see on the page is what you wind up seeing on the screen, not much more. Except
0: Ridley Scott then spends the next three and a half years in the edit bay.
1: Yeah, making new ones. And also he's just – Clint Eastwood has benefited by the fact that he's just a stone-cold badass. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I would say that, well, Ridley Scott's a knight, but again, he's a knight in shitty armor and – you know, Elton John's a knight. So that's not a qualifier for being badass. It may have been back in the 1200s, but not anymore. I, I'd say Sir Patrick Stewart's still kind of a badass. Yeah, Sir Patrick Stewart, Sir Ian McKellen. So, yeah. I mean, it, it balances out. Sir Sir Paul McCartney, I'll give
0: him a a badass uh it's a little different stamp but i'll give it to him
1: well chris i think that you and i have thoroughly exhausted this topic um yeah we're getting ready to beat thelma and louise diving over the side of a cliff <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, metaphorically, much, don't metaphorically don't speaking so i guess we'll pass it on to our audience members what do you think makes a great director and is ridley scott one please tell us at hello at war stick around
0: for our really rad recommendations coming up next Hunter, it's recommendation time once again.
1: I think we've exhausted everything we have with Ridley Scott, so... Actually, no, we didn't talk about Black Rain, but, you know, over a 40-year career, there's only you, there's going to be some things dropped.
0: Yeah, once again, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> always always in your really rad recommendations, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. What do you got for us today?
1: Well, my recommendation today is inspired by the central idea of the Martian, that being a man alone and forced to survive. And so my recommendation is a picture from 2012, which was, for the most part, loved by critics, not so much by audiences. And it is The Grey. The Grey, in a nutshell, is Liam Neeson leads a team of men's men into, I believe it is Alaska, Canadian wilderness anyway, upper, upper north, upper north. And so anyway, they crash and they're forced to survive in the most inhospitable conditions against basically an army of malevolent wolves now that what i've just described kind of sounds like a cheesy cult classic but the film is actually really really impressive and what i liked about it and which we didn't really see in the martian so much is just this feeling of absolute Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why it didn't do well, so hot. Well, but
0: that, that's not what The Martian was going for. Either. Right, exactly.
1: But, you know. but maybe that's why The Grey didn't do so hot, is it It really is a bleak film.
0: I, I think it didn't do so hot because it was pitched as Liam Neeson boxes wolves with, with shards of glass taped to his fists. <laughs> and
1: that doesn't happen until the and end. <laughs> and then it got
0: out that that... Well, and it doesn't... I think it happens more in the trailer than it actually happened in the movie. And I think that got out and people were like, well, if he's not going to box wolves, I'm not even going to see it. They shouldn't...
1: They they. Shouldn't shouldn't have done that because the internet exists and word's going to get out pretty yeah, quick. See the movie not for but Liam Neeson boxing wolves. See it for the idea of a man fighting to survive in the most inhospitable conditions I think I've ever seen on film. It truly is uh, horrifying. It's kind of a horror movie in that regard. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good. It's certainly more deserving of a greater reputation than it currently has. Yeah. So from 2012, I believe it's available for rent, not to stream. Yeah. It's,
0: I've seen it on Netflix before. It could be that it's one of those that comes in and out, but yeah, currently it looks like it's only available to rent.
1: So, I mean, you, you guys are really industrious. You guys are like Matt Damon on Mars. You'll find a way to watch this movie. Uh, that's the gray from 2012.
0: Okay. Well, my recommendation it's, I, you know, my recommendations on this episode are pretty lazy. I think, uh,
1: it's, it's a pretty easy mission to Mars and red red planet. Oh
0: (laughs) yeah. Double feature. No. Um, I'm going with actually another 2012 film, 2012, (laughs) not 2012. (laughs) No, (laughs) no. Um, this is, was, was written and directed by Drew Goddard, um, who, wrote the Martian. I think it's much better than The Martian. I mentioned it earlier, it's Cabin in the Woods. And um it's sort of perfect because it's around, you know, Halloween time and and also the the connection here. And uh Cabin in the Woods is sort of a it's probably a movie that the more horror films you've seen and you know know the workings of you'll you'll probably enjoy it more. But I think it's still it's a good film on its own and I love this is a little, you know, film nerdy, but I love what it's doing with genre. Like it's sort of playing with all the tropes and laying them all out together, like side by side. And then also sort of saying, like, we've we've been doing the same thing for a while. Let's try something different. And it's maybe a little bit of having your cake and eating it, too, um, because it's definitely playing both those sides. And uh, it's one that I think. Uh, some people do not like because they don't catch on that. It's, uh, to what it's doing because on the surface, it seems like at the very beginning, the most like generic, uh, horror movie ever, but that's all to the design of it. And once things start rolling, it gets really interesting. I would say like the gray, a little bit of an underseen and underappreciated film. Um, so yeah, check it out. That's cabin in the woods. It's, Uh, available to rent or purchase or whatever in all the usual culprits right now.
1: All right, fantastic. So basically the moral of the story is if these scenarios can scare Liam Neeson or scare Chris Hemsworth, surely they can scare you, dear listener. Yep. Well, that's a wrap for another episode of War Starts at Midnight. Check us out online at warstartsatmidnight.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter, The Midweek Memo. It's filled with recommendations, news about upcoming episodes, and exclusive articles written just for you. You can also find us on
0: Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr at WSAMpod. And if you've made it this far into the credits, it's pretty safe to assume you like us. So why don't you stop what you're doing right now and leave us a review in iTunes. It'll help us reach new listeners, and it'll make you feel like you just dipped a potato and crushed Vicodin.
1: And what could be better than that? Then again, if you're the trolling type who's just been hate listening through these credits, well, tell us everything we got wrong at helloatwarstartsatmidnight.com. Or, of course, you can give us a call on that bright red telephone at 484-484. And better yet, why don't you send us a message in hexadecimal language? That'll really impress us.
0: Music on this week's show comes from Smokey in the Mirror. For music and tour dates, visit
1: SmokeyInTheMirror.com. Tune in next time when we'll be discussing Guillermo del Toro's Ghoulish Crimson Peak. Thanks for listening. Over and out.